Good morning. Um, I've really struggled with uh, what to say today. Um, I don't know why I, I just, it, it's, it's been a week that when you look at the division that's in our world, and I'm supposed to speak on division, <laughs> what do you say, you know? Um, I feel like personally it, it's, it's possibly the top issue that pulls the world apart. It's pulled the world apart since time passed, it's pulling the world apart right now, and I'm sure division is what will pull the world apart for the rest of our history as humanity. And so I've been nervous. I, I have pages of just thoughts and notes and they don't all fit into the time period that I have here um, to speak. But I trusted that hopefully something on here, God would lead me to say something that can help somebody. Um, but in the middle of the anxiety is what to say during worship. I know for me personally, I just felt an immense sense of peace come over me. Just, just a peace that it's okay. We, we as Christians, we've been given a different way if we want to embrace it. We have. And what I want to do first before I get into this, um, it popped into my head a little exercise. Um, you may want to write these steps down. These steps have, are things that for me have been instrumental in my life when I remember to use them. <laughs> it's so hard when you get anxious and when life just gets difficult that, oh yeah, I have these steps. These steps actually come from a, a mentor of mine who he prayed for me, he prophesied for me, and he was very instrumental. He wrote, he wrote a book that covers these steps, and I found them so impactful, um, but I want to walk you through them right now. So the first step is simply surrender. So as you think of the word surrender, what would God have you surrender? In our world right now, there might be some big things to surrender. You might have to surrender that your political party lost an election. You may have to surrender that you have family members that won't get a vaccine. You may have to surrender that you have family members who are getting a vaccine when you think they shouldn't. Surrender any of it to God. Put it in his hands. As you think about what to surrender and you let go of that burden, I want you to fill what you surrendered with celebration. Celebration of who God is. They talk so much. Celebration is the next one after surrender. People talk so much about how an addict can't really get over an addiction often. What they do instead is they fill it with something else because they're empty and they fill it with something else. A lot of addicts can actually fill their addiction by going to AA. They become addicted to the 12-step process. I'm not saying it's not a bad process to go through, but sometimes it can be a replacement addiction. And so when you surrender something, there is a spot there that you've opened up in your life. And so I think it's cool after surrender you celebrate. Just celebrate God for who he is. Celebrate what he's done in your life. Celebrate that even though you have an estranged daughter out there somewhere, possibly, he gave you a daughter. The next step after celebrate is then to meditate. You celebrated God. You celebrated for how good he is. And meditate is a chance for that to soak in. 
Just take a second. You've surrendered your anxiety. Then you've celebrated God's goodness. And now just rest on what you celebrated. To me, that's so impactful. I'll give you guys one more second. So as you surrendered what you're anxious about, as you've then celebrated God and then meditated to allow yourself to really focus on God, the next step is open. Open yourself to what God would have. Whatever you surrendered, those were the things that were speaking to you before. They were speaking to you about anxiety, about fears, about concerns. They had their own voices, but you surrendered those voices. In exchange, you then spoke to God about how good he is. You meditated on him. Now it's time for his voice to fill where whatever you surrendered, the place it had. Let God just speak to you. It could be a nudge. It could be a thought that's been eating at you that he brings back to the forefront of your mind. I don't know what God would have for you. And then dedicate. You may have heard something from God. Something may have popped into the, into the forefront of your mind. Dedicate the rest of the day to what came to mind. Dedicate the rest of the day to thinking about it. And as you move through what God brought to your mind, as you move through... It could just be the rest of your day. God just said, I love you. So you dedicate the rest of your day just to keeping that in mind. God loves me. I go through, I'm in this supermarket and the line is long. It's more time for me just to think about how God loves me. I dedicate my day to this. I have a long line. I have a long wait in the grocery store for me to think about God loving me. As you go through your day, listen to what happens around you. Listen to what God would have for you. You took away the other voices. You turned to God. You heard what he had to say for you. You've dedicated now that day to him. And you're moving through that day listening to God. But then begin to listen to the world around you. And you may see where God has use for you. Instead of the usefulness of trying to deal with the anxieties that you had and trying to convince someone of, of your, what you want them to do, God may have something totally different for you to do to that person, for that person, that you would otherwise not even speak to in a grocery store. Maybe it's someone that you would pass by. Maybe someone you've been having divisions with, since we're speaking about divisions, maybe just knowing that you have God's love and he loves you. Maybe there's a chance you might just feel moved to call them up and say, you know what, I found out God loves me and I know he loves you too. Let's just not talk about our divisions right now. I just want you to know he loves you. And that involves the last step, which is obey. 
So as you go through your day, you've dedicated to God, you've heard him, he's, he's, he's there with you, you're moving through your day, you're listening to what God would have for you, and you're listening to what's going on around you and just seeing where you can be used. And the last step is just obey. Be used. It brings you to a purpose that is not being used by what you originally surrendered. What you originally surrendered, I believe, if you surrendered them, you recognize in some way they're negative. And those will influence your day. But when you surrender them at the beginning and you align with God and you open up to Him and you listen, your whole day is different. Your agenda is different. I get wrapped up around the axle. I struggle. And often I get lost in my own anxieties and things that I should be surrendering and it takes over my day. And at the end of the day, I'm frazzled. And I do admit that I think, man, I wish I would have gone back to this list. <laughs> in that moment where I was getting frazzled, I wish I would have just taken a chance to stop and say, no, no, no. What am I getting frazzled about? <clears throat> Makes me useless to God. <clears throat> Excuse me. I promise it's not COVID. What I get frazzled about makes me useless to God. And it drives my energy into other places that I don't believe serve the kingdom of God. And so when I surrender those and align with God, these steps to me exemplify that. And it makes the rest of my day useful for God's kingdom, useful for bringing love into this world where so many people are bringing division because what should be surrendered to God surrounds their day. I hope that that uh, exercise, if you go through the steps, I hope that they bless you as much as they bless me. I encourage you, when I first read Mark's book and, and I read those steps, I made a discipline of trying to practice them every day. I had them on a piece of paper and I would get up in the morning and with my coffee, I would just look at them. At the time, I was also going through Bible college. I had to get up, I had to head to college. Um, I had them stuck to my steering wheel. So as I'm driving, I'm practicing them. And then me, just like we all do, I fell out of the habit. And so it comes and goes. But it's a blessing when you can do it. So having surrendered, hopefully, some things this morning, and attempting to listen to God, we've reflected on how good he is. We've, we've sung about him today. I want to approach this topic of division. It's interesting because we, we want to heal divisions, right? The issue is we're always going to have divisions. Always. I want to speak to you first really quick about, about one of my hardest divisions that I've ever dealt with in my life. And for parents watching at home, I'm going to tell a war story. And so if you feel it's inappropriate for your children, you may mute me for a second. I'll give you a wave when, it, when it's okay to unmute me, or you can send the kids out. Um, but I'm going to tell a war story really quick. Um, I believe war is probably the ultimate expression of division. I mean, where else can you kill millions of people throughout history? 
I think the only cause of it would be division. It's an ideological division. And so my experience with war was that I started basic training and the day I started basic training, 9-11 happened. I signed up before 9-11. I started basic training, 9-11 happens the same day. And so, so many people during a time of peace had gone through basic training wondering, well, will I ever go to war? I knew I was going to war the first day I started basic training because they talked about even how they might cut our 14 week basic training down to five and good luck, we're gonna ship you out. That was possibly what would happen. And so everything was focused on going after the terrorists. What we were trained to do when we were shooting at targets was to scream, terrorist bastards. That was the label we gave our enemy. Labels are how we divide. Labels dehumanize. No longer before me is a child, a 14 years old, who an adult put a gun in their hand. No longer before me is a farmer who's so poor. And the Taliban came to him and said, we'll behead your five children and your wife in front of you if you don't take this gun and go shoot an American soldier. He's being blackmailed by his family. They're all terrorist bastards, that's it. It takes away their humanity. It takes away the situation that they find themselves in. It's how we shame people. Because when I label you as less than me, I'm shaming you. What it's called is an ad hominem attack. It's attacking the person rather than anything to do with their thoughts. It's just saying you as a person are less than me. Well, one night, and here's the, here's the part that's probably not appropriate for kids if, if they're still there. I sent out one of my soldiers. Some of you may have already heard the story. I sent out one of my best soldiers on a mission. I was supposed to be on that mission, but I wanted to sleep that night. And I was like, that's no biggie. And so I sent him out. About 90 minutes later, we get word he got blown up. We recover the body, we recover his materials, his, his possessions, and every soldier on their belt, we typically wear Gerbers. It's a multi-tool and it is so useful for all kinds of things. Well, we have to send the soldiers possessions back to the family. This tool in the explosion had been blown off of his belt through his body. It was covered with his blood and his guts. I can't send it back to his family that way. I remember the whole squad, we were packing up his stuff. We were packing up the squad stuff, the, the, the stuff to send to his family. And everybody looked at the Gerber and, and nobody wanted to touch it. We didn't want to send it back to the family. Legally, it has to be sent back to the family. So I said, okay, I'll do it. I, I, was, I was the squad leader. I'm like, you know what? It falls on me. So I took it in the bathroom and I, I remember washing it. 
and my hands got red with his blood. And I was like, I was the one that sent him out. His blood right now is literally on my hands. There was blood, there was guilt. But you know what also came into my head? Resolve. <laughs> you better believe tomorrow I'm gonna go after those terrorist bastards. That's what went in my head. It grew the division even more. There's a movie called The Kingdom. Some of you may have seen it, it's about the Middle East. And to me it sums this up so well. It goes through the story, and at the end of the story, you have, you have two ideologies fighting. You have the American ideology, and you have the, the Arab ideology. And they do see issues with America. America sees issues with them. And they're going back and forth to each other. People die on both sides. And at the end of the movie, you see two characters who come to peace at the end of the movie because they were told something by someone else. One on the US side, one on the Arab side. The one on the US side is told, well, what did he say that brought you peace? And the person says, he said, we'll kill him all before he died. On the Arab side, the son who lost his father, he was distraught. But then he became happy. And they're like, why are you happy? And he said, because before my father died, he said, we'll kill them all. It continues the cycle. The story's over. Hello? If you muted me, the story's over. The cycle of violence continues. It continued when I saw my soldier die and I had to clean his property. It continues in the movie, we'll kill them all. And they have the same thing, we'll kill them all. And it's a mission for each side. Once I became a believer after my time in the military, I started to read verses like, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. And at first, I felt like he doesn't mean it literally. There are many, many people in Western culture who give great explanations for how he means this. He doesn't mean it literally. There's others who do say he does mean it literally. And there's one pastor that actually came out with what's called the third way. And so some say he doesn't mean it literally. We can go to war. We can, you don't have to actually love your enemies. And that doesn't mean you go out and you can still go out and kill them. You can still do um, these other things. But then the other, some other people, they say, well, he did mean them. And that means we have to be pacifists. And there's one guy who came up with an interesting idea called the third way. And he said, yeah, God literally meant go the extra mile. But do you know why he wanted you to go the extra mile? Because back in the day, a Roman soldier could require a Jew to carry his gear for one mile. The gear's heavy. And so he recruits a Jew, carries it a mile. When he gets, to, when he gets down that mile, he finds another Jew and that Jew carries it. Um, 
And Christ said, if he wants you to carry it one mile, you carry it two for him. One guy came up with the idea that, yes, this is literal. And you want to know why Jesus did this? It's because it's subversive and we're going to get all the Romans in trouble. Because when the Roman commanders find out that they've been having the Jews carry it for two miles, they're going to get punished. And so this, this guy came up with the idea that it was a subversive attack on the Romans. It was, it was a, a way to get them in trouble. But when I see the crucifixion, when I see what Christ did, none of it was to get them in trouble. He asked for forgiveness for those who were killing him. Too often, when I was in the military, I wasn't a believer at the time, but others were. Before missions, we'd have the chaplain come out, and we always prayed for God to give us success in war. May we kill our enemies. There's a prayer, if you've ever seen the movie, We Were Young Once, I think is what the name of it is. I can't remember what, quite, quite what the name of it is. We were, we were Young Once, I believe is what it's called. The colonel goes into the church, and I won't say the words that he prayed, it's not appropriate for a Sunday service. But essentially he said, Father, may you lead my men in my hands to kill every last one of them. Number one, it's an assumption that God's on our side and that what we're fighting for is something he's okay with us taking lives for. I'd been personally around chaplains who before our mission, we prayed, could we kill them all? But as I was a Christian, I was like, ah, I, I, my, my spirit doesn't sit right with this mentality anymore. And I thought to those who killed my soldier, I thought to those who literally put his blood on my hands. And I was challenged by scripture and I was challenged by something within me begin to pray for God's blessing on them. I don't know who they are. I don't know if they're still alive. I don't know. But I began to pray for God's blessing on them. No strings attached, because I believe that when God's blessing comes on you, change will happen later. So I didn't pray for God to make them see the light, make them come to the truth so then they can meet him. If they meet God, they'll change later. And so I began to discipline myself to pray for God's blessing to be on them. And I prayed that I would find love for them. I left the prayers of, let's kill them all. I left the prayers of, I hope the next bomb gets them. I left all those prayers behind and I began to pray for the God to bless them and I began to pray for me to find love for them. Something happened. A weight came off my shoulders when I didn't feel like I had to carry such anger towards them. Labels fell away. They were no longer terrorist bastards like I had been taught. Had I been born over there, they possibly could have been me. I began to empathize with them. It didn't mean that I agreed with their ideology. But what I came into agreement with and found unity over was their humanity. (sighs) 
ultimately divisions will always be there. You take two Christians, put them in a room, or two, let's, let's actually do this differently. You take two people who exist in life vacuums, put them each in a room, give them each a Bible, tell them, read the Bible, figure it out. They're going to come out with two different understandings. <laughs> they're, they're, not going to, they're not going to figure it out exactly the same. So guess what? Right off the bat, you're going to have divisions. You do that with enough people, put them back together. They're going to split up by how similar their beliefs came. And you're going to have group divisions. Even within one group of these people, they might have minor divisions. But they've decided their divisions are little enough. They can team up. But they can't include those over there because the, the, that division's too, that understanding is too wrong. Welcome to the church, as it exists here in the West. <laughs> you want to divide? Just go start another church across the street. Maybe we don't even start talking about vaccines today. <laughs> there, there's some division for you. How you voted, who you voted for. People can live in the same country, even on the same street. They have access to the same information through Google. Just like two Christians have access to the exact same Bible that has not changed for hundreds of years. And these people have the same access to everything. They live side by side. They're on the same street, possibly in the same kind of house if you're on one of those cookie cutter streets. And yet one can come to one belief on the vaccine, one can come to another belief on the vaccine. It's going to happen. So when people naturally divide, what do we do? I initially thought the solution was let's clear up the divisions. But then you realize you cannot clear up the divisions ever. Even people that agree on one thing today, by tomorrow someone may have an illumination that, oh, I think it's supposed to be thought of it this way. And guess what? Now there's a division. I think the first question and this might be one that if some of you are brave, you might want to comment on YouTube. First question is possibly, why does it actually matter if someone thinks different than me? Why does it actually matter if I'm divided from someone in ideology? I have some ideas. Um, I think our security rests in right belief. In the idea that we have security and that we know what is true and we're, and we're doing the best we can to follow it. And if someone thinks different than us, what if they're right? <laughs> it's, it, it's, it, it's such a, it, that could be a threat. When your identity is found on your, your understanding of, of how things work, that's a threat to your identity if you're possibly wrong. It also threatens to shame us if we're wrong. You've probably heard of the people who realize I'm losing the argument. They might be right. So I got to double down because I'm not going to be shamed. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong. Shame can be a factor if you realize that something they're saying is right. We can feel ashamed. I think there's something else too that causes us to have a problem with someone who differs in understanding than us. 
And that possibility is that we might be right. The way they're thinking about something could totally be wrong, admittedly. It could totally be wrong. And we're sitting here like, because of your wrong thinking, we're all gonna pay the price for it. You might be right. And you can try as hard as you can to control that situation. You can try as hard as you can to change their mind and control the issue as you see it. The vaccines, take the vaccine for an example. I think somebody needs to get a vaccine. I think somebody needs to get a vaccine. Why? Well, because you're threatening my life. You're threatening the life of my grandma if you spread COVID to my grandma. So you can try as hard as you want to control the situation to save your grandma's life create all the animosity between them, finally get the government to force a vaccine on them. And tomorrow your grandma can car, die in a car wreck. You just created all kinds of animosity and hatred, trying to control the situation to save your grandma's life. And none of it mattered. What I do believe stands the test of time is love. I think love is what stands the test of time. I've come to believe, I used to think that how I changed the world would be what I would look back on in my life. I would look back and be like, yeah, I eradicated, I eradicated a hundred terrorist bastards from this world. You're welcome world. I had a life well lived serving humanity, getting rid of those people. But I've now come to believe in the end, it wouldn't really matter because you know what? Divisions will always exist. And I could kill however many people the military wants me to kill. And there will be another generation of them coming because that's just the way life is. What will really lead me to feel a successful life at the end of the day is if I was able to love everybody. Not everybody may love me back. But if you want to control something, if you want to control saving your grandma's life, over COVID and losing her to a tree falling on, on her bedroom in the middle of the night, you can't. But what you can control 100% is choosing to love. So this is how I'll close. I, I don't want to go on too long for everybody, but the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. This comes from Ephesians 4.15. Speak the truth in love. So here is where I'm getting to the solution, I believe, for division. I think division today is kind of a general catch-all even. They can catch the previous topics that we've been talking about. Ephesians 4, 15 says, speak the truth in love. And I want you to notice it doesn't say, speak love in truth. Too many people are out there holding up signs call, in front of abortion clinics calling the abortion doctors murderers. Too many people are out there holding these signs that are speaking truths and they say, well, you know, truth, they need to know the truth. And by just pronouncing them murderers, I'm loving them. The Bible doesn't say love comes through truth. It says truth should come through love. What this requires then 
is that you first love someone before you can ever speak truth to them. As I read scripture, before I can actually speak truth to someone on a significant level, I first have to have a loving relationship with them. And what that means is not, hey, Paul, I love you. And so I don't love them until you're wrong. You're living completely out of control. And I completely disagree with how you live. And there you go. Now, don't you feel like I love you? You better see my love in my condemnation of you. That's not how it works. You love them first. And as you love them, I would challenge you that whatever truth you may have thought you had for them, as you love them, that truth may either change or you will at least find the proper way to phrase that truth. Love will feel like love to them. Love will not feel like you're just beating them over the head with your opinion. So if they don't feel loved, you haven't loved them enough yet to speak truth into them. Do you want to know the most successful way to figure out if you've properly loved someone to bridge a divide? There is a single test that I believe will show you if you've loved someone enough that you should actually be speaking truth to them. And that test is how do you respond when they reject your truth? If you love them, you respond one way. But if they reject your truth and you in turn reject them, you may have never really loved them in the first place. So what do we do with divisions that will always remain with us? They're always gonna be there. There's always gonna be another terrorist in the world. There's always gonna be someone who's not gonna get vaccinated this time, next time. There's always gonna be someone who's gonna vote different than you. First, in my opinion, I'd say we're all imperfect somehow. Maybe they are wrong. Maybe they are imperfect. But so are we. Sadly, we don't know where we're imperfect or else we'd probably try to change it. It takes 10 years to figure out, oh, I was pretty imperfect back then. So first is to realize we're all imperfect. Second, I believe, is to realize stop the ad hominem attacks. Stop telling people the equivalent of being terrorist bastards. Too many times I hear people say, well, that's stupid. <clears throat> it's stupid not to get the vaccine. By proxy, you're not getting a vaccine, you're stupid. You don't know that about them. They might be smart. But when you get emotions involved rather than reason, you're not actually dealing with the issue even. So divisions will always be there. There will always be different camps. It's just the way it is. People click with personalities and they form a group and other group forms and they're divided. What makes the difference is some groups can be divided. Even in a church, you can have different people who hang out more together. But the difference is that they still love each other. So when you come to divisions, the solution isn't to erase divisions. To do that, you have to kill everybody that thinks different than you. And eventually you're gonna be the last one standing. So it's not to erase divisions. 
Instead, it's to bridge every division with love. Love creates a web of divisions rather than a bunch of floating little islands that are not connected. I think that's why Ephesians 4.15 says that love comes before truth. You bridge the divide and then you offer what you might have. And again, if they reject it, how you respond will probably show how much you really love them and if you really didn't. Hopefully this has spoken to someone. I, it was a heavy topic to deal with. I know for me, God overcame the ultimate division. I genuinely wish at this point, through my prayers, I could meet, and I hope I do, in this life or the next, I could meet the ones who killed my soldier. Because my heart has come to be one that says, I just want to hug him. I want to let him know we were all lost. We were all lost in the middle of a war. We're all lost in the middle of our own lives. And we may never agree. They may think they were right still. I don't know. But at least I want them to know that I love them as humans. Because through my prayers, I do believe God has brought me to genuinely love.